This podcast is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton. I'm Carl Ulrich, Vice Dean of Entrepreneurship and Innovation at the Wharton School, and this is Launchpad, where I talk to successful entrepreneurs about the secrets to launching and growing their startups. I'm joined on the line by Catherine Petralia, who's co-founder and president of Cabbage. Catherine, thanks for joining us. Hi, thanks so much for having me. You know, first things first, I want to point our listeners to your website, and it's cabbage.com, and that's cabbage with a K, so K-A-B-B-A-G-E, cabbage, cabbage with a K.com. Catherine, give us the elevator pitch for Cabbage. Sure thing. Cabbage's data and technology platform enables real-time lending to small businesses. We do this both directly in the U.S. We've deployed over $4 billion to 130,000 small businesses in the U.S. And we also operate internationally through partnerships with large institutions that license our technology to do the same thing um, abroad. We partner with big banks like Santander, ING, and Scotiabank. Um, and our customers are able to, using our automated automated platform, get through the entire application process for a small business loan in less than 10 minutes and actually, in many cases, have funds in their account. Wow. All right. So give us the – tell us the profile of your typical customer. Well, it's interesting. I think the thing that unifies all of our customers is they're looking for less than a quarter of a million dollars. Um, And that's a broad swath of businesses. So in the U.S., there are 26 to 28 million small businesses, depending on who you believe. Um, The preponderance of those are really small businesses, and they don't need $5 million from a bank. And so the challenge they have, and the challenge the banks have, is they don't have the technology and automation to cost-effectively serve those customers. 80% of our customers bank with the top 10 banks, but they can't get a loan from them. So we're serving customers the banks are also serving, but we're not competing with the banks. We're really just helping, you know, the, the customers they already have and access to the capital that they need to grow. All right. So let's let's start with the user experience. So I, I took a look at your website and you direct you sort of have a direct call to action to go ahead and apply. Tell me and, and I'm also a small business owner, so tell me walk me through the process. How would I apply for a loan? So the difference, I think, between applying for a loan with Cabbage and applying for a loan with a bank is that we do the work for you. So the same information, we we answer the same questions that banks answer, but we do it a different way. I would um, ask you to log into your checking account and to um, ask your bank to share that information with me so that I can make a decision on business performance based on checking account data, based on um, payment processing data, QuickBooks data, social data, shipping data. There are a lot of different data points that our customers can choose to share with us. Um, And you do that really rapidly. So it's just like logging in with Facebook. You simply log in to whatever the service provider is and you authenticate with them and then authorize them to share information with me um, that I use to help understand business performance. I never see credentials. I just see data. Okay, so... Maybe walk me through it another level of detail. So if if a business, let's say it's a small business with under a million dollars a year in revenue, and what would be the minimum set of, of accounts that I would need to share with you in, in order for you to make a judgment about whether I'm credit worthy? I, I think the least amount of data that I need would be a, um, a checking account, access to a business checking account. I'm going to need to verify your identity, which I do um, by triangulating some information between um, the information you provide and information that I get from some third-party providers 
and information in a credit report. And that's, that's it. If I have access to those two things, identity verification information, as well as checking account data, that helps me understand business performance um, for very small businesses. And, and help, me, help me understand the distinction you make, if at all, between me as the, as the executive or the owner and the business itself. So how much of this is based on me and my personal credit worthiness relative to the business itself? Very little of it is based on you as an individual, and the preponderance of it is based on um, on your business performance. What I care about is revenue that I can identify through a variety of data sources, um, and I can use that to, again, predict business performance over time. I, I need you to have been in business for at least a year, but mm-hmm. honestly, a year is not a lot of time. Most banks are looking for five years, and they're looking for a personal guarantee, and they're looking for you to deposit funds at their account that are equal to the amount that you're borrowing, and they're looking for reconciliation on a monthly basis or quarterly basis. There's a lot of stuff that has to happen. It's really daunting for a small business owner, most of whom do not have MBAs from Wharton or otherwise. Okay. So um, so I, actually, just to follow up on something you said, so so I am not providing a personal guarantee as the business owner? No, you are not. Wow. That's a huge difference from a regular bank. It is a because, huge difference. Yep. Yeah. Because <laughs> I've been in business for, you know, my main business more than 20 years, and I'm still providing a personal guarantee to the bank. So, um, uh, wow, that's a huge difference. So so help, help me then understand, I, I looked on the, I looked on, the, you know, you, you give some information on rates and you basically have sort of the obvious disclaimer that the interest rate is going to depend on this the situation, but you give a range of 1.5% to 10%. This is an unsecured loan to a very small business. What What is the average interest rate in, that, that, you, that you would offer to that, to, the, to your customers? My average effective APR um, is in the mid, low to mid 30s, um, 30%. So like 33.8 or something, I think is what it was last time I checked. Um, so the one and a half to 10 is, can be misleading because that is the percentage of the, of the amount that you borrow that you're going to pay me as a fee. Um, when we calculate it as an APR, it comes out as a higher number because that's how APRs work. Our customers are borrowing either in six or 12 months um, installments. So that um, changes the APR calculation, if that makes sense. Okay. All right. So this is this is important. So let me just make sure I understand. So the APR, though, I mean, that's a government-regulated number, I think. And it that is the effective – that does allow me to make an apples-to-apples comparison. And so my APR – that APR maybe, of 33 – Maybe. All right. Well, explain <laughs> it to me. Consumer. Yeah. Well, it does if you're a consumer borrower because consumer loans have all these, you know, disclaimers that are required by law, but business loans don't. And that's why APR is so confusing. The other thing that's confusing about APR is it doesn't necessarily include other fees that may be charged, an origination fee or a broker fee. There are 20 different types of business loans that are offered, Mm. and they all come with different kinds of fees that are assessed at certain points. Some loans, for example, look like they may have the same APR, and you can't see my air quotes, but I'm making them, um, yeah. <laughs> but but they actually have this origination fee, or maybe the fee is charged up front. So if you pay early, then your AP, it doesn't make a difference. You have this prepayment penalty, if you will, um, versus only paying fees in months when you have a balance, which is different than mm. a revolving line of credit. It's really confusing. We actually um, formed this group called the, oh, shoot, I'm going I'm to use the wrong word for I. I believe it's Innovative Lending Platform. Association, ILPA. 
And the idea um, around the first thing we did was the smart box disclosure was to make sure that business owners could see all the different ways that fees could be assessed. And what we really pushed for is the business owner wants to know how much they're going to pay for the loan, like the actual dollars that are going to be assessed, because it's actually more important than an APR if you're a business borrower, because you want to know if I borrow $10,000, how much am I going to pay you in fees? Like, what's the dollar amount? Yeah. All right. So I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to get you to give me a specific example on that. But before I do, I I think I'm still a little muddy on on the term of the loan. So this is not a tell me tell me about how it works. It's not a, it's not a credit line. It's a it is a credit, line. Bar- it is a credit okay. line. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So tell me how it works. <laughs> it's a little strange in as much as it's a it's a line of credit. Every loan is a discrete installment loan. You can have as many concurrent loans as you like up to your line amount. But every loan um, amortizes over either six or 12 months specifically. Yep. That's the current structure that we have. And obviously, it could be 18 or 24 or 36. So the idea is they're installment loans. The reason we like that is because it allows us to tell the customers up front exactly what the fees will be. It's hard to do that with a revolving line of credit. Yeah, got it. Okay, so let's keep it really simple. And this will help me with understand the fees. So let's say that I take a draw on my line and I know this is going to be a bigger number than would be typical, but it makes the math easy. Let's say the draw is a hundred thousand dollars and, and I get it over 12 months. I'm going to pay it back over 12 months. So, so at that 33% APR, what am I paying back? How much am I paying back over those 12 months? Um, if I'm going to, I'm going to, so that, that assumes that you're paying me, I'm going to assume you're in a three and a half percent fee range. So that means you're paying me $3,500 for that hundred thousand dollars over a 12 month mm-hmm. period. The difference is if you decide to repay that in month three, you're not paying me fees for what you would have been paying me in months four yep. through 12. Does that make sense? Yep. So there's an origination fee, regardless of how no. long. No origination fee. It's just the month one fee. If you borrow the month money, one the fee. first 30 days, there's a fee for the first 30 days. And actually, nobody knows this. I'm going to talk about it a lot. But if you decide in 24 hours that you don't, you wish you wouldn't have done that, we don't charge mm. you a fee for that. Okay. So that when you say fee, it's the all in. I mean, it, 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 you're describing it as if it's an interest rate for that first month. It is. But, it is an interest rate. Okay. All right, you can call it what you want, but th- but three percent in one month is a huge interest rate. So oh no, so, that's over the line. So it's yes, you you are correct, but it's spread over twelve months. If that makes sense, so it's yeah. three and a half percent of the total amount, but you only pay me one twelfth of that in the first month. Oh, I see, I see. Okay, and then yeah, and then crazy. <laughs> yeah, but I'm still I'm still confused by this thirty three percent APR, but I'm not. I'm paying you more than $3,500 in in interest and fees over 12 months, am I not? No, you're not. That's the total amount you're paying me. That's why when you – so I'm having to reverse the math. If you ask me, if you say I'm paying 33%, then I've got to back into – that means you're paying me $3,300. So you're in the 3.3% of the total loan amount range of the fee. And that means that you're paying me um, – you're paying me that – I have to divide them into 12 fee payments, if that makes sense. I'm having to apply, I'm having to take the APR and reverse engineer it into the way we calculate fees. All right. But I'm, I'm just going to assume that this APR stuff is really confusing because I'm confused. Um, But so let me just, 
All right. So just help me help me with the this the simple simple math. So I borrow the hundred thousand dollars. I'm on average your customer is only paying you thirty five hundred dollars is only gonna pay you a hundred and three thousand five hundred dollars back. That's right. Okay. That sounds like um that sounds to me like seven percent interest. Uh, yeah, the problem is on um, you have to calculate it assuming that they're, everybody's going to pay it back in 30 days because that's the way APRs work. Okay, got it. All right, I'm going to forget about that APR thing. If I pay it right. out over, okay, if I'm going to pay, I, you you give me $100,000, I'm going to pay it down over the next year, which means that my average balance is going to be $50,000. And I'm going to pay a total beyond principal of $3,500. I My math says in simple interest terms that's seven percent interest rate and and that's the first did i did, again without worrying about the decimal places do i get that roughly right um yes with the caveat okay. that i was an english major so um we, you're catherine you're now a banker talking about math <laughs> yeah <laughs> I, but you're I'm a banker a, you I'm, better i'm not a banker i'm in okay tax. let's be clear <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right, all right. But uh, my point is, I, I, Catherine, this is also just maybe advice about, well, I, I'm the one who pushed you on the interest rate. But that APR thing is so confusing because it's not an annual percent rate. The annual percent rate is much closer to 7%, which is a much less scary number than the, than 33%. Well, I, even I know 33 I'm, is not scary. Here is where I would push back on any of those numbers. Yeah. What, what a business owner has to figure out is what's the return? on that investment. If you borrow, I'm going to take the number down to a way lower number. You borrow a thousand dollars okay, and you generate it and you generate a thousand dollars of revenue with that thousand dollars that you borrowed and you pay 300 bucks for that thousand dollars or 30 bucks or whatever the number is, you still have another thousand dollars you didn't have before. And APR was designed for a consumer loan on a depreciating asset or certainly not a revenue generating asset on a revenue generating asset. Theoretically, that revenue should be placed into the denominator when calculating the APR, but it doesn't work that way. Yeah. Okay. I think I got it. And so, and so the difference. I want to circle back, and then we'll get get to you know the business and so forth. But I want to circle back on how this is different from a bank. I suppose one difference, if you really look at the effective interest rate of the borrowing, when I personally guarantee that loan at Wells Fargo. I'm not. I'm not paying seven percent. I'm paying. Uh, I'm paying less than than seven percent. A little less, not a lot less, but somewhat less than that. Um, so is a lot that less? Yes. Yeah, yeah. So it's not. I mean, it has to be that way, right? Because you're not. This loan is not secured. It's not. It's not personally. It's not secured at all. It's not, and it's not personally guaranteed. Correct. That is correct. Yeah. All right. So I think. I think that's clear. Uh, it's super awesome. So I can get. I can get a you know reasonable you know reasonable amount of money in ten minutes at not onerous interest rates um, with you guys doing the work of filling out the forms based on on access to my financial records. That's awesome. So I think we got the business now. Um, let me let's turn to the to 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 your story a little bit. So tell us where this idea come from came from. Give us the origin story. 
Uh, sure. My co-founder, Rob, um, was working with some data from um, eBay. They launched an API in 2007 that his the company he was working with was using to identify that items sold on eBay were likely to be fraudulent or counterfeit. And it was a lot of um, seller level and transaction level data. And he thought, wow, that's really interesting data. Could I use that to make an underwriting decision about a business selling on eBay, like a business loan? And so he called me up. I had been in what wasn't called it at the time, but FinTech for a long time. And he said, hey, what do you think about this idea about making small business loans? You could automate it um, to eBay sellers. So it sounds like a really small business, eBay loans, you know, small business loans to eBay yeah. businesses. And so from there, really, we just kept watching the market. Where else could we expand this business? And so we moved on to Amazon and Etsy and Yahoo and lots of other online marketplaces. And then before we knew it, this API thing was a thing. And so it turned out we could get access to QuickBooks data and checking account data and social data and shipping data and all this other information that we could use to build um, an income statement for a business um, on their behalf to help, you know, underwrite that business performance. And so that's where we are today. So probably only 15% of my customers are online businesses. Most of them are everything from construction companies to medical practices, law offices, marketing firms, dry cleaners, restaurants, retailers, the usual stuff. Mm -hmm. And so um, what were you doing at the time? So he was working at eBay and recognized this opportunity. You guys started kicking it around. And what were you doing at the time? And tell me about the decision to, to start a business. I was working with another fintech startup um, called Revolution Money that was bought by Amex in 2010. Um, and this um, just seemed really appealing to me. And, and plus, Rob was in Atlanta. I lived in Atlanta. I was commuting down to Florida for this startup um, every week. And I just thought this seemed like a great idea. So, and, and I love technology. And it never occurred to me. What I think is really interesting is because I came from a consumer background, it never occurred to me that you couldn't automate a small business loan. And, uh, and frankly, ignorance. Um, worked to our advantage because we didn't know that most small business loans weren't automated. Our assumption was any lender would automate anything they could, and it turned out they didn't and haven't and still don't. Yeah, amazing. Catherine, so once you'd recognized this opportunity and started to think through some of the the technical issues, what did you do to validate the opportunity before you made the leap, or did you just leap? You know, I am a big opportunity taker. Um, so I, I, when I know people that I've worked before who I respect, um, I am fortunate that I'm in a position. Uh, my husband has been an at-home parent since our 17-year-old was born. We just had a baby a year ago, another one. So um, I was in a position where I said to my husband, hey, you know, this is a great opportunity. I think this is a neat business. Um, what do you think? And he said, yeah, let's do it. So I did. And it's not like we have tons of money or anything. We just, we just, I'm fortunate that we both have, I guess, is on, on opportunity. Mm -hmm. All right. So talk a little bit about, about financing. I, I looked at Crunchbase and I, and I thought I was seeing a typo uh, because the financing amount as listed on Crunchbase is $1.4 billion. And I got to believe that a lot of that is debt, essentially the, the capital is being provided to the to the businesses, but walk us through a little bit the financing of the business and and maybe uh, whether there was some equity financing in the beginning and how you thought that through. Yeah, that's, that's, I w it's not a typo, it's just inaccurate, <laughs> I guess is what I would say. <laughs> we've, raised, we've raised just shy of um, half a billion dollars in equity over the last nine years. 
Um, so in, in wait, 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 that that also sounds like it. half a billion dollars in equity. I know that's a lot of money. Yeah. Okay. That's all right. I just want to make sure I heard it correctly. Five hundred million dollars yeah, in equity. Okay. You did. All right. Just shy. Yeah. It's like it's like four ninety six and some change. So yeah. yes. Um. Over the last nine years, and um, in six institutional rounds, the last one was two hundred and fifty from SoftBank. So yeah. um, and that that was the second time they invested. They actually also did our Series D. So. Um, we've also secured well over a billion dollars um, in multiple facilities of debt financing that we use to fund the loans. We are um, uh, we we take balance sheet risk. We are a direct lender in the U.S. Um, abroad, we're not. That's a different relationship. It's a different structure. But in the U.S., we're a direct lender. We take all the risk of loss. All right. So um, I wonder if you can talk. There are a couple of interesting design and product choices here. And I, I wonder if you could help help our listeners with this. I noticed that you have really simplified and focused the offering. So it's quite crisp and, and clean. It's a six or a 12 month term loan charged against credit line. I wonder if you can talk a little bit about how you eventually got to that product, how much iteration there was to eventually converge. And the, the key question I'm trying to get at is how an entrepreneur thinks about really creating the minimal, simplest, most compelling offer without confusing the customer? That's a very good question. I'm a little embarrassed to answer it, but I will. Um, Originally, the first product we had was a six-month product. It was a line of credit, as exactly as it is today, um, repaid in a six-month period um, with as many, again, loans as the customer needs up to that line amount. And the idea was, again, we were, this was targeted towards retailers, um, e-commerce retailers or retailers. And the assumption was they would be using it to buy inventory. So it was short-term financing. They didn't need it for big capital expenditures that they needed to amortize over a 10-year period. That, that wasn't our market. And so we, the, the way we even structured the fees, we had the, the fees were higher in months one and two than they were in months three through six because we wanted to encourage our customers to pay it early. Uh, and so we still have that staggered fee product, which is another reason that our, our that the fees are kind of confusing to calculate. Um, so um, we, we've made a lot of changes and not a lot of changes. We now have the 12 month product. We now have a fixed fee product where the fees are the same in all the months. We're looking at all kinds of other things, whether it's a revolving line of credit or whether it's um, invoice financing or um, equipment financing. There's lots of other things that we could do. But honestly, our customers really like this product because it's really simple. So that's why we haven't changed it that much. Yeah. All right. So your answer was you got it right the first time. You didn't change it much. That's a reasonable answer. <laughs> no, nothing to be embarrassed we, about. We got it right for some people. We got it right for some people, but not for all the people. Yeah. All right. Uh, my next question is is about how you think about adjacent innovation. And I suppose that's a that's a little bit of an academic term. But you started out with this core business of lending to small businesses. You were originally thinking of online retailers as your core customer. And and you've gotten this is now over nine years. You're big and and you have very high expectations from investors. How have you thought about uh, finding adjacent innovation opportunities? I noticed you have an invoice payment product. You mentioned that you offer effectively a a software service product. It sounds like to lenders. Tell walk us through a little bit how you've thought about that innovation strategy as you've deviated from your core. Has been opportunistic. Some of it has been planned, I guess. On the opportunistic side, I would say that again, we started with this whole 
e-commerce business um, with with eBay and Amazon and Etsy. And the reason was because the data was available. So we kind of followed the data is what mm-hmm. I would say. Um, so outside of, outside of that, we've sort of said, hey, what else do our customers, what else do our business customers need? And our business customers need, um, they need trade financing and invoice financing and they need different kinds of terms and, oh, they need a card to use the point of sale. So um, we actually, our customers get a card in the mail um, that says cabbage on it they can go use at Costco or any of the other places they're buying supplies for their businesses. Um, so some of it is about following the data and following the technology and some of it is about what do our customers need. We talk to them all the time to say, um, hey, what is, what's troubling you today? What, what are the challenges that you face? We're in the process of building a payment processing business so that our customers can also accept payments with us. There are tons of other adjacent markets in which we're interested. Um, there's insurance and payroll and back office, ERP type CRM applications. We have a lot of information about our customers. Um, ideally, in a few years, our, our ideal is that our customer wakes up in the morning and they go to their cabbage portal and they see information and insights about their business and they see what they should do next and they're able to do everything they need to in one place so that they can actually, you know, if they're a chef, they can cook more. If, you know, they, the idea is we want them to be able to do the things they enjoy and really thrive at the things that, that made them start their business in the first place. All right. Well, Catherine, it's a really inspiring story and it's an amazing success. So thanks so much for sharing it with us and joining me today. Thank you. All right. For more information about Cabbage, you just go to cabbage.com and that's cabbage with a K, K A B B A G E.com. I'm Carl Ulrich, Vice Dean of Entrepreneurship and Innovation at Wharton. Launchpad is produced by Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School on Sirius XM channel 111. The show airs live on Wednesdays from 7 to 9 p.m. You can find more episodes of this podcast on SoundCloud or on iTunes. For more insight from Business Radio, please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.